All right, here we are again for another uh, Rich Life Projects in the, the booth. This time, it's a, an honour for this uh, for this podcast with the great Richard Norton. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Richard. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, mate. What a pleasure! What a pleasure when it comes to uh, martial arts royalty and uh, Australian <laughs> acting royalty to me. That's uh, mate, you're one of, one of the greats. And uh, martial artist, bodyguard, stunt work, stunt man, actor, magazine model. I'll put the magazine model in there <laughs> just to highlight things. <laughs> and fight coordinator. What has been happening? You've just come off the set. From the new Mad Max Furiosa movie with the incredible George Miller. Um, Left in April, thought I'd be there maybe a month and six months later. So there you go. As I say, I think they forgot I was there, but the checks kept going. (laughs) I thought I'll just keep under the radar. I will not say a word. I will not say a word. Yeah. (laughs) No, it was was great. You know, we've been shooting in Sydney around Broken Hill, Hay, Fox Studios, some of it, but a lot of uh, external locations, of course, because of rain. I mean, Sydney, as you probably know, had the most rain in history for that period of time not, not just crazy, the last 10 yeah. years so that that played havoc but but it was still a phenomenal experience so you know I was lucky enough to do Fury Road you know which we shot in 2013 so this is a prequel yeah. it's 10 years before and it's uh it's basically how the Charlize Theron character as Furiosa became Furiosa so uh a younger actress Anya Taylor-Joy who was in The Queen's Gambit and yeah, a few yeah, movies yeah. is playing that role We've got, um, yeah, phenomenal cast. Tom Burke is an, a, an English actor playing the other leads and um, Chris Hemsworth is the main bad guy. So, yeah, yeah. and it's huge. It's such a big movie. And uh, as I said, looking, even with Fury, and even more so just to be on involved in such an iconic action franchise as Mad Max, it's good. And I, you know, I learned a lot. This is me going and you asked me one question. No, no, I won't okay. shut up. This is what it's for. <clears throat> but it's it's such a learning experience and, you know, we'll probably go into you and I chatting before this about stuff. But I just, you know, just sitting and watching George Miller at, at the monitor in his director's van, you know, and you might have a, a an aerial shot with 50 people and bikes and everything they're they're like dots and he's still could you move your fingers you know a little bit that way just change that ankle and could you move that bike and i just realized he's it's watching somebody painting a canvas yeah yeah, like that frame there's no detail that goes unnoticed and he will not move on until he gets a shot he wants so he's about perfection he realizes that the frame the audience sees is the only frame they see. They don't see the 30, 40 takes. That's right. They just see the one that he chooses, and he's just determined to get the absolute excellence out of everybody and everything and every bit of equipment. And I, there's a real lesson there as a martial yeah, artist yeah. in that because you know, I tend, I have a favorite saying about I just refuse to accept mediocrity. A lot of people are very happy being mediocre. Yeah, yeah, true. Where that continual strive for excellence is what it's all about, and that, that's what I get to see with, you know, with George or someone like Chris Hemsworth, Anya, they're just, they're passionate and they're artists and they're just perfectionists. And to see examples of that in another area besides martial arts is very informative and very yeah. instructive. 
Crazy, crazy, mm. and you uh, and you're sort of doing the the fight coordinations for the for the Mad Max movies. Yes, I was fight coordinator in the first one. Where I did play a role as yep. an Imperator, which was the same kind of warrior class that Charlize Theron's character as Furiosa was. I had a much bigger role as uh, the Imperator in Furiosa. This being a prequel, I'm I'm still trying to figure out. Well, hold on, it's ten years early, and that's twenty years. So that makes how do you do that? How do I make myself look? How do I? (laughs) (laughs) Can you can you airbrush my hair? (laughs) But uh, yeah, so you know, it's a bit more of a bookend in this one, you know. But as fight coordinator, I mean, it's, it's work, mate, and I'm still. I'm still getting to involve my passion. It's still just martial arts. I get to train the actors, take them to the gym, figure out, or with help of others, any fights it might be. And I thought, it doesn't get better than that. 100%. And as, as I asked you before, because I was reading, you know, you're born in 1950 and you're 72 and still going charging so hard after all the life that you've lived so far. That that itself to me is inspiration. I'm like, I'm 49 if I can get the 72 and, and one look like you, which I'd never never do because my obviously fading looks, but uh, just, yeah, that that's what sort of inspires me to you're do an fine, hour. You're a fine-looking gentleman, Oh, thank Richard. you, Richard. Richard and Richard, <laughs> eh, the two dicks. That's right. And that's that's what sort of motivates me in the morning, getting up and just doing an hour training, at least an hour training myself and just keeping fit. But, yeah, going through your sort of schedules and, and life at, at your age now is still, still amazing. Yeah, well, the thing I, I realized for me is we always look at, you know, this COVID, I had some of the best times during COVID and God, I understand how bad it's been for younger people with yeah. businesses or martial arts schools or whatever, you know, please, I, I totally get that. But if you ask me personally, some of the best months in the last two years have been sitting on the couch, binge watching Netflix with my wife of 36 years, Judy. Amazing. I thought this is this is it. This is the balance, you know. But having said that, I also was very aware of how comfortable that could get. I just know I need a motivator, which is why I still teach seminars. I teach, still teach grappling, still teach reality-based seminars around the place. Just was in Sydney last week, and we had fifty-two on the mat, you know, doing yeah, it. Really? Wow. And I need that because. You know, the fear is that people are going to go, oh, let's see if Norton slowed down a bit. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, fuck let's that. It's <laughs> not going to happen, you know. <laughs> so it motivates me to get to the gym, keep my skill set up, keep um, keep looking at what I've been doing. You know, I've always said I did. I never want to be the same martial artist always five years ago because that's boring, you know. It's all about evolving as much as possible, updating, and I find – Doing the work, whether it's working on a movie set like this, which has involved my skill set, even training, you know, the the science behind fitness and strength training with what we know compared to when I started, it's just night and day. And I enjoy getting on and seeing the latest updates, you know, as yeah. far as that's a bit like, you know, rebooting a computer. 100%. So I, you know, that's, that's why I still do it. Now, when I'm away, would I rather be home sitting on the couch? Yeah. But again, I realized that I need that kick in the bum like anybody else. And it gets back to what we we're talking earlier, um, you know, which I'll repeat about Buckminster Fuller wrote a book called The Critical Path. Buckminster Fuller was considered a genius. He came up with the geodesic dome, um, the mathematical equivalence of synergy, et cetera, et cetera. But he just got down to this idea of continual goal setting, you know, and why goals 
when people set a goal and they achieve it, it's never as quite as fulfilling as they think it's mm. going to be. And the reason he says is it's about propelling you and keeping bodies in motion. It keeps you setting a new goal. And then that's not a new goal, new goal. Because yeah. as he said, anything that stops still long enough is probably dead, whether it's yeah. a branch, an animal, or a, or a person. So I, I kind of get that. So I'm, I'm continuing, whether it's a movie set, which which we could get into also, you know, c- creates a certain amount of stress because you go, well, shit, am I going to be up to this gig? What do they want me to do? You know, I've got to be physically able to yeah. inspire the actors as well as train them and do whatever. Um, and the same with seminars. You know, as I said, you've, you've just got to be on your game. But I, I love that challenge. Yeah. I'm, you know, I can't move or what I do what I did 20 years ago, that's okay. You know, my, I, I just try and be the best version of me at this stage of my life and not just be happy to be mediocre. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, nah, fully, fully understand that. Fully understand that. So going, going through that back in the day, obviously martial arts was your, or your bouncing and then martial arts. When did you actually get into martial arts? 11 years of age. I started judo, yep. you know, and Said this a lot of time to say it again. It was just a kid that moved into a house hoppers to where I lived in Croydon, which is a suburb of Melbourne. And uh, we he just moved and we were going to play pool a couple of nights. His dad would take us and stuff. And in this is a very early stage, he was disappearing two nights. And I sort of said, Where where are you you going? And he said, I'm going to judo classes. And there was a club in Nunawadding, another suburb of Melbourne. And uh, there was a um, Nunawadding police sergeant. John Birch, who taught judo classes. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, man, I want to go, you know, so off I went. Um, so that was my start. And um, it was a uh, few years later that uh, two high school friends had used to go to judo with us. One of them, John Rose, said there was a, or mentioned there was a karate demonstration happening three miles from where I lived in Croydon in a place called Bayswater in a church where we went and that was Tino Soberano. Yep. He'd been in Australia maybe six months and yeah. uh, he was demonstrating Goju, Goju Kai, had a few students he'd had for like six months. So we went along to that and I saw that and was just blown away. Wow. And I literally th- thought in my mind, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. And I, I would also like to say, and I've said before too, it wasn't because I wasn't in a rough neighborhood and getting beaten up yeah, yeah. daily. You know, you hear these stories all the time. There's a lot, a lot of stories that come with martial arts that go, you know, I was abused or it's this is how I got into fighting. So it's, it's very interesting yeah. that. Though I would say I had a brother that was four years old. <laughs> he used to hold me and my, I have a twin sister. He used to <laughs> sit on our stomachs holding her hands down. Oh, no. And in slow motion, you'd dribble on us. Oh, no. <laughs> So that could I don't have, think I've heard that one before. Yeah, I know. So I've we'd be the lying there rider. watching this slowly coming to me <laughs> like this, and he'd be cracking up. And I used to think, you wait, you, oh, you wait. Bastard. See, that could have been the motivating factor. How about that for a story? <laughs> that's how Richard Norton got into martial arts. Yeah, that's arts why I got dribble. into martial arts. But um, no, but I, I, I just, I've always said it sounds a very cliche answer, but I just feel it was what I, what I was meant to do with my life, you yeah. know? And luckily enough, I was smart enough to sort of take the challenge, dare to that. participate and go in and start the classes. And that's that's set up my life, you know, not s- judo to an extent, but yeah. the karate under Tino in the mid-60s, you know, and what I'm still doing now. Now, yes, I'm doing my own thing in different clubs, but 
he he started me on my journey and fortunately he was such a a phenomenal instructor, very nurturing. You looked at him and, you know, I always said he's my father in the martial arts. Yeah. I have luau's at his house on weekends and stuff, you know, and it was for all, for all the right reasons. Of course, everyone and everything becomes a bit more commercial later on, but in the beginning, it was just because we just wanted to be the best martial artist we could be. And I've never forgotten that start. And uh, as I said, the journey still comes, yeah. you know, nearly 73, started when mid-60s, so figure that out. Amazing. And it's it's still, and the journey continues, which is incredible. That's, that's what I, I, th- I think that's why I love martial arts so much as well in regards to the learning side because you just, because you never learn everything. It's You'll never be perf- absolutely perfect at martial arts, and that's a like we have our hearts ago, that's what we keep thriving for is to better ourselves as martial artists. But you go, that's what keeps me motivated because I just want to keep learning all different things and not stay stale. Yeah, but that's that's also you saying that, Richard, but there's a lot that are very happy to think they are now masters or whatever. I know. I mean, think about that word master. It means I've mastered the art. Good luck there, you know, with the evolution of the art and – if, and that's why I say to people, you know, the great thing, you know, a lot of people are working and I'm generalizing and in jobs that they probably hate. They could also probably do in their sleep, becomes a robotic, robotic existence. They go home, put the same TV shows on, go to bed, get up and do the same thing the next day and they're waiting to start to live. So there's, you know, and they're living what I would call pre-learned skills. You learn to ride a bike or you learn to play cricket or football, you know, and early, but there's not a lot. And please understand there's a lot. Don't do this, by the way. Yeah. I'm generalizing though for I, what I feel are a, oh, a certain percentage of the population that are no longer challenging themselves mentally or physically. As martial artists, I would say to my students, every day of your life you have a chance to learn something new should you have the desire. But you have to dare to step out of your comfort zone, go to different seminars. You know, I've been working with this Alex Kostic that my mate Matt Ball brings out. And Alex teaches Sistema, a little different to what a lot of people see that some of the Russians do. He used to be in karate and kickboxing and and very, very accomplished, turned to Sistema, which intrigued me, like, yeah. because he's very accomplished. So I did some seminars with him. It was very contradictory to so much of what I'm doing, meaning they don't focus a punch per se. It's totally relaxed. It's very almost Aiki-like. Okay. But the point is, you know, I said to Alex, I said, look, I don't at this stage have enough time to learn a new art. But teach me something that'll help me do what I already do that little bit better. And that's exactly what's happened out of yeah, that. Yeah. But you're never going to find that unless you get off your bum, get out of the that's chair, right. stop armchair experting everything and dare to step into an arena that you're not comfortable with, you know, and learn something new. And I, I hope people get that message, yeah, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we should be lifetime students, but, there's a lot of martial artists that validate themselves with rank, with belts, with the colors they wear, and they punch around with their arms folded. Hence, another one of my sayings, heaven forbid you unfold your arms and get found out for what you don't I know. I know, I know. And there's They're too of frightened days, to. And Benny Okita, you know, he's been out. Benny the Jet's one Benny of my few Jet, role models. What and an icon and legend. You know, I started training with Benny in 1980. Really? He was just out and doing seminars, in phenomenal seminars. And you know what's inspiration about him? He's a doer. Yeah. He has a favorite thing. If somebody says, oh, I, I do this and I, he says, 
don't tell me, surprise me. And he's even had people in the jet center say, oh, but we only do like death touches. He said, I'll take my chance. <laughs> Let's get in the ring and move around. Really? You got to love that. You how, know? how old would Benny the Jet be now? He'd be, he'd be close to 70 now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not wow. quite as old as me, but and still on the mat doing everything. Really? That's amazing. He's, he's, he's an absolute doer, you know, and you gotta you got to admire that. He makes a point if he hosts a seminar, say I'm hosting the seminar, invite Benny in. A lot of them, he says a lot of the people that host him the instructor or the sensei or the master will often sit on a chair and watch, which, you know, and he makes a very big point if you're the host and you're in the line with everybody else, he'll point that out. And and what better example of your students than you being you a don't. student on the mat? No, I don't know it all. No, I do want to get better. No, I don't want to be the same as I was last week. I agree. And also on the mat and happy to accept criticism i mean if i benny and i use benny as an example a lot if i get in the mat with benny he might pick me up on six things yeah. rather than going oh shit well that's embarrassing i walk off and i'm excited because i can walk off with six things to work on that i believe will make me better than i worked on that mat two hours earlier well that should be what it's all about we should be excited by that prospect right yeah 100 percent. and and 100%. the other thing being uh, jujitsu and i started jujitsu and Late 80s with Hicks and Gracie. Yeah. It okay. just came yeah. through finding him in LA. Um, that's another story about Chuck, you know, yeah. which I'll tell you about how that all happened. But I, I went around to Hickson's. Well, I'll tell you. Let me tell you. Because yeah, it's yeah. kind of an interesting 100%. story. It's a bit of history. Yeah, but love um, this, Chuck, you know, I used to, ch starting in Bob Jones and I brought Chuck out to Australia, maybe Bob, in 78. I did demos and Chuck was demonstrating what he was doing. He'd done uh, Break a Break and Good Guys Wear Black, yeah. a couple of his very early movies. Yeah. <laughs> so he was out. He was willing to promote that. But he came and did demos at, at some of the first ever kickboxing matches held in Australia, which Bob promoted. So Chuck and I got on like a house on fire. He said, if you get to California, give me a call and we'll do some training. Not thinking I would ever end up there. Wow. A year later, I was uh, personal bodyguard for Linda Ronstadt, for those who don't know that are too old. She was like Beyonce in her day, 10 yeah. Grammys, sang Amazing. country and western, rug and wild. Anyway, I ended up, uh, she offered me work full-time in California. Yep. That was a big, I was like, mm, do I really, I've got clubs here, I've got a girlfriend here, I've got all this life. And Linda actually said to me, I never forgot when I was talking to her about it, she said, look, why don't you try it? You can always go back home. I thought, you know what? That's Good absolutely trip. right. So off I went. It was the, the best decision I ever made in my life. I cannot imagine what my life would have been had I not dared to leave Melbourne and go to Los Angeles, start working for her. Because I called Chuck up. He... Um, you know, he said, oh, come and train with us. I started training with every morning for years. We did six days a week. By the way, and I'm digressing a bit here, but that's how I met people like Benny Okides, yeah, Bill yeah. Wallace, Fumio Demura. I just met such an amazing array of martial arts through Chuck because he was so well respected yeah, back yeah. then. And anyway, he ended up going at, uh, was sometime in the, later in the 80s to Brazil on a holiday to Rio. 
as a martial artist, wanted to know, well, what schools are around and, you know, what's going on here? And so he ended up through recommendations in a jiu-jitsu school with Helio Gracie, who's like the godfather of Gracie, Helio and Carlos Gracie. So he's in a school and with Hickson and Horion Gracie, who is, you know, obviously Helio's son, and Hoist Gracie, who is a first UFC Oh, yeah, right. yes. Yeah. So he ends up on the mat with Ilio and a little bit of wrong because Chuck was a black belt in jujitsu. He still remembers being on top of Ilio. He would have been in his 70s then. Ilio's died now. He died yeah. at 95. Um, and he said he's on top and Ilio looks up and he says, and, oh, uh, Chuck, throw a punch at me. And Chuck's like, oh, Mr. Gracie, I don't want to do that because he's looking at <laughs> this, you know, a little, because Ilya was pretty small too. Yeah, yeah. Chuck would have been 40s or whatever then. Yeah. So he, and he said he, he half-heartedly threw a punch. <laughs> so Ilya's grabbed up and put a cross, you know, lapel cross, choke on yeah. him. Chuck said he couldn't eat for three days, you oh, know, because no his jaw was so sore. So that was his introduction <laughs> to <laughs> that, you know. Anyway, he ended up through that bringing, coming back to LA with a videotape, VHS, by the way. VHS. You kids <laughs> wouldn't even know <laughs> what that is. But um, and it was of Hicks and Gracie's very early Valletudo matches, you know, with these dudes in the ring and everything. And he showed it to me and we were like, oh, my God, look at this, you know. So it was as a result of that, Chuck ended up bringing um, Helio, no, not sorry, Helio, Horion and Hicks on, a whole bunch from Pedro Sawyer out to his UFAF conventions in Los Angeles, which I started teaching at in 1980. And so this would have been late 80s, 88, I think he brought them out. Even Carlos Machado was one of these dudes. So he was, he, if you look at it, his, Chuck really started a lot of the whole craze and tension of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the United States. Now, um, they were already, Horion was already in LA for some years, um, Egan Machado was there, but nobody, but it was only there in garages in their backyards. Yeah. So it was very like unknown, but it took someone like Chuck with his popularity to help expose it to the martial arts world as it were, because as you know, in LA or rather in the US, you know, most college kids are wrestlers. Yeah, That's their martial art. Of course, it's traditional martial yeah. arts and karate. So it was a big sort of impetus to get that whole interest started. And um, so I ended up meeting Henzo Gracie, who, uh, no, sorry, get to. So as a result, I ended up finding Horion Gracie in LA and said, can I, I'd love to come around and see what you guys do. I went around, that was, he had a house in near Redondo Beach. Hickson was teaching there. I mean, they had really not much. And uh, so I'm in a garage. I walk in and Hickson's the first one. First thing he says to me after he introduced himself, because he he must have looked me up, whatever. He knew I had a whole stand-up background, you know, it's for karate and whatever, kickboxing. And he said, oh, my friend, do you want to put the gloves on? Because they were (laughs) the days when Oren was going around with Hickson and everybody else challenging all the local karate dudes and everyone else to choose the, the efficacy of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? So luckily I was smart enough to say, no, 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 I just I would just want to see what you guys do. So my very first lesson was Hoist Gracie, again, for those who don't know, was the first UFC champion. He sat in his back and I had to get in what we know as the mount position and try and stay there. There's no striking or anything. Nah. 
And then he sat on me and I had to try and get him off. Well, both were ridiculously impossible. And I remember walking away going, oh, my God, I felt like a little baby on the yeah, ground with these true. guys. I need, and, and the important point I'm saying is I thought to myself, and smartly enough, crediting myself, <laughs> I said I need to add this to what I do. Not instead of, not that it's better than what I'm doing, but if I can add these grappling skills to my stand about how much better am I going to be as a martial arts? Well, the rest is history. And I started training with them, ended up meeting Henzo Gracie. I did maybe nine months, 10 months of private lessons with Hickson. Ended up meeting Henzo. He said, where, you know, who are you training with? And I said, oh, I'm at Horan's house training with Hickson. He said, oh, you need to meet my cousins, the Machados. I think three of them. It was Hegan, Carlos Machado, I think John out in LA. Jean-Jacques wasn't out yet. And uh, I think this would have been maybe 1990, might have been a little before. And so Henzo was going back to Los Angeles, going on to New York, and I was going back to LA. So he arranged for me to meet them. They were also just in a garage out Plus Redondo Beach at the beach yeah, side there because the they're all surface, so that's why. Oh, but that's little garage and Bob Bass and um, there's there was some amazing people that we know now that are still doing that started back then. And uh, so I started doing lessons. I ride my motorbike out every day. I train with Chuck. Go out and train with them. And and it's through that that because of the association Chuck had with Horion, bringing him out to UFAF, I said. You, you need to meet the Machados. Even though Carlos had been there, he didn't, there was no, you know, uh, relationship or anything. Yeah, yeah. I said, these guys are incredible. And, you know, I was tra- Chuck had then moved out. He used to live out in um, Rolling Hills Estates past, Los, you know, LAX airport. Yep, yep. He moved to Tarzana. I had recently moved from Hermosa Beach to receded to be near Chucky because he we had such good friendship anyway I said you need to train with these guys you know and he said oh we'll bring them out the house we'll do a private I said okay I'll bring them out we'll just book like you know half an hour an hour oh no let's book two hours I said no you don't want two hours you know (laughs) Because if you've never done it, you know, first of all, you're using all your gruff and grunt and groan and strength and that gets you nowhere. But anyway, I brought Carlos out and he can, that's what started a relationship that Chuck had to this day with the Machados. That's how that whole interest started and um, what an incredible journey that's been. And I'm still, you know, I'm still doing, I love the jujitsu and the point of that relevant to we're talking about mediocrity and continually learning is the big difference with say Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and say Goju, which is my original style. Now I'm with, still with BJMA, you know, Bob yeah. Jones Martial Arts and yeah. Zendokai. I'm still overseeing that as one of the founders of that. But the great thing about Jiu-Jitsu is it, it virtually evolves by the week, I'd almost say. It feels like it, doesn't it? Because traditional stay traditional by the mere fact that they want to stay like they were 100 years ago, whatever it was, which is fine. But as you very well know, training with Greg Jackson, all these people, it's <clears throat> combat is all about the present day environment. You're yeah. not on a feudal Japanese bloody field with a guy on a horse, yeah. you know, and a lance trying to skewer you. Today's environment is being outside a nightclub in Chapel Street or wherever else. And what your skill set look like? Notwithstanding, I understand the art and the relevance of that and the mind-body, don't, don't 
misunderstand. That's a that's a very valid and relevant extra, uh, um, direction to go in because not everybody is interested. Right. In, well, can I survive in the street? But anyway, the the the, the jujitsu as a result, you know, we've uh, we're doing stuff now that. Ten years that we ten years ago, it's just obsolete now because they've figured out counters. Because there's so many competitions, UFC started off. Now you got Abu Dhabi and you know ADCC yeah. and all of this, where they're pressure testing yeah. everything. It's no, it's not theory. I often say karate. Yes, it's a bit of theory. Well, it's supposedly we do this and that. There's sports bar and jukumite and everything, but. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's like kickboxing. You're either getting punched or you're punching somebody, That's and right. jiu-jitsu, you're either tapping out or you're tapping somebody else yeah. out. The proof is in the pudding if it actually works. And that's that's been an incredible part of the journey is just trying to keep up. You know, I did some lessons a while ago, and I've got to get back with Lockie Giles. Lachlan Giles is one of the best grapplers in the world especially with leg attacks and heel hooks, which really has only come in the last five years yeah, with jiu-jitsu to the way it has. It's it's just changed the whole com- competition landscape, especially in Ogi and everything. And I was on with Lockie, who's, who's a lovely gentleman, so polite and humble, and but so good. Yeah, really. And when a dude like that get, hooks your heel, oh. you go, oh, fuck, <laughs> right? And a lot of it, I said, I want to at least know what it looks like because yeah. it's a. It, I said to him, I feel like I'm learning a whole new art, wow. but I wonder know it looks because if you don't know and they hook it and you think you can just twist out and pull out of it, well, Mechanics. there goes your knee yep. and everything else, yeah. right? So, uh, so anyway, the evolution of, of that, and and if again, if you stayed with the way jujitsu was five, ten years ago in every shape and form, I believe you're going to stay reasonably mediocre. Yeah. But you've got to accept the advancement and everything and where some of the Americans particularly have taken that art, yeah. embrace it and go, I need to be a part of that, whatever yeah. way I can. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I've got yeah, a few friends in Albuquerque all over the world with Gracie Barrard Jiu-Jitsu as well, mm-hmm. the world champions, Tusa and all that. But I oh, just, yeah, and I've never, I love, I respect the art of it. But I always saw because my body over the years, it feels like it had snapped, you know, from kicking and punching and everything else. But I feel I admire the art because it's so intricate on the on the ground and just one little movement, boom, you're gone. And I keep thinking to myself because all, all the stories that I ask people and they go, oh, how, you know, jiu-jitsu? And I'm like, oh, my neck gone and my knee butt. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. Then, yeah, so, but, I, I, I- I would argue they're probably in the wrong school, though. Yeah, Look, probably. I've got to say, you know, most of my training was with Higan Machado and, of course, Jean-Jacques, and I, my my rap for someone like Jean-Jacques is I probably had to wrestle him a thousand times over all the years, and he never hurt me once. Wow. But that's had complete utter control over me. Yeah. I thought, ah, oh, well, that's interesting, you know. So I think you've just got to be smart. Like at my age, I don't want survival match. I don't care. And I go to seminars. And I don't know these kids are, oh, gee, maybe I can yeah, tap well, Richard I'll Norton. Get, I'll get Norton. To yeah. which I would say, and I said to one kid <laughs> once, you know, at the end of a seminar, I said, how old are you? 
And he said, oh, 22. I said, really? I said, do you realize if you tap me out, you've literally tapped out somebody as old as your grandfather? <laughs> I said, well, that's not much of a feather in your cap, <laughs> isn't it? I said, the worst part is what if I kick your ass? You oh, know? that's even worse. And they, used, they looked at me, but it's true, right? 100%. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't care anymore. I think our job, when I say our as older statesmen in the arts, is to just pave the way and help these kids be the best they can be. I often use Freddie Roach as an example. Freddie Roach trained Oscar De La Hoya, Manny Pacquiao. He's got Parkinson's, you know. Yeah. I, it's not true, but I could almost say, Judy, my wife, could probably do a round of boxing with, with Freddie. Yeah. But there's a reason they worship him, and that's his ability as a coach to make them world champions and make them the best they can be. And I think that's our job. And if we, out of ego, get on the mat, still trying to prove we can flatten 30-year-olds, you know, we're going to get so jacked up that eventually we can't even walk on the mat. Well, then what a waste of a life's journey that you can't get on and pass your knowledge on. And I think that's huge. And, And I've, you know, I've had a couple of, People in the past say, oh, if I can't beat all my students and I'm just going to stop. I said, get over yourself. I said, think about if you were 40 and you had 20, 20-year-old students and you all stayed healthy and you kept training, age alone will dictate that every one of those will eventually beat you. Sure. Like, do you think Helio Gracie in his yeah. 90s could have beat a competitive blue belt? No, no way. Yeah. But that's not the point. Not it's the, the point. wealth of knowledge, yeah, exactly. right? Knowledge so of you all. just got to accept that. And, you know, that's your job anyway to have the students sort of surpass you and be better than you, hopefully with your guidance. Yeah, and that's yeah. our job. Yeah, no, definitely. And Freddie Roach, as you mentioned, we done. Uh, we know Freddie personally. We when we took fighters over to his gym to train with him. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. and our one of our boxers. When you go downstairs for sparring and the doors are locked, no cameras. That's that's when you get your popcorn out because that's like everyone's number over there in boxing. But how Freddie has things, and you see how how he is worshipped in the wild card. It's an amazing experience. You get sort of like as a martial artist come box whatever. When you walk into that wild card and Freddie's there, you get a bit of a buzz. Yeah, of You're course. like, how many? You just sort of think back. The ones who do actually live in the moment go. Wonder how many greats have walked through this door, and Freddie's been here as well. He's just, it's an, he is a master class when, when it comes to boxing. And as you say, they don't go there to go, oh, I want to smash him on pads or anything. They go there for his knowledge yeah. and little things like, I want that toe to be in that position or that foot, I want you to be over there and I want you to be looking at this instead of that. Mm. You know, those little things that people just think, oh, I'm going to Freddie Roach to smack on a pad, you won't get that. What you'll get is Im- immense knowledge of what, and, and his job, like ours, is to make that person or that student the best version of them, 100%. which will be different to everybody else in that gym. But, you know, again, are you the best you can be? And, you know, like Dave Hedgecock that we talked about and is no, like Ray Giles, you know. Oh. God, you watch them coach people and, and you realize they're not trying to make uh, copies of them. They have the ability to look at what you do and just take what you do best, be the, the focus of the training, right? So they're not trying to create a clone. And that's that's 
that's difficult to do, you know, and there's a lot of, like, and I watch Ray Giles and, you know, hold the mitts, his shoulders are a bit knackered because he's got heavyweights pounding those freaking mitts. Man. And now it's just, yeah, it's not about power and everything. It's about dexterity and skill set and bobbing and weaving and everything else. And, and, uh, Dave's, you know, a lot more, well, you know, Dave is like a, you know, fire plug, you know, he's, <laughs> he's so solid, but still training Dave's 74. So I'm still training fighters and boxers and everything else. But, Again, if you don't understand looking at somebody else, if you go there thinking, Gee, I wonder I'd go sparring him, you, you, your mindset's completely yeah, wrong. misconstrued. You just look at them and go, if you don't come to the understanding of how much knowledge they have had and gained on their journey and how much you can gain from that, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Like Tino, Tino, you know, and she is 82 now, still doing seminars really? all over the place. Wow. And you think, oh, man, that's a lifetime of knowledge. That is. That and is. also get your head out of, you know, there's a big thing going on in the Goju world now, which won't, won't go on too much because it won't relate unless you're in yeah. karate world. But, you know, whether Goju Ru, Okinawa, or whether the Japanese was better and, oh, well, yeah. we do, well, they were all wrong. Fuck off, wrong. It's different. Yeah, different, yeah. You yeah, can't say it's wrong. You no. don't know what's wrong. It's another version. Like I would, again, use Manny Pacquiao and, and Oscar De La Hora's example. Manny Pacquiao is an unorthodox southpaw. Oscar De La Hora is a classic orthodox fighter. Yeah. So they're so different. They both knock people out and they're both world champions. Exactly. So you can't say one was wrong. No, that's right. So I hate this tribal mentality when once you become part of something, it's the be all and end all and everything else is I shit. Agree. No. A lot of those styles would not have lasted as long as they did without some, some attributes. Yeah. Try and find that. Don't look for the fault and the negativity because you haven't improved by 1%. If you can find even 1% yeah. that that person's doing, oh, I like that. I don't like that and that and that, but I like that. Then you're on a path to sort of mastery, which yeah. I would like to say is unattainable, but the journey toward it is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, mm. I agree. And I think uh, from from obviously getting to my age and you see these, I, I think it's becoming from a student to be a coach. If I see a coach that's willing to learn, I see someone who will always, always be improving and always be a great asset. The ones who, as you said earlier, the coaches – you know, say, no, nah, I know everything. This is how it is. This is my way and it's the only way. That's when you, you start to go, this person's dead. Mm -hmm. This person's already dead. What we talked about, you've stopped still long enough. You're as good as. as dead. If you think, oh, well, I'm I'm as good as, I'm as good as, well, that's that's a road to and nowhere. And it's sad, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's sad to look at when you're like yourself or myself or other people like Greg Jackson who will go into a, a seminar or go into a school and you see the the coaches that this is this is the only way to do it. There is no other way. All these other ones are just bullshit, whatever, whatever. And then you go, oh, well, do you want to try what I know? No, I'm not interested in that because then you see like, wow, that's so sad. This dude hasn't got an open mind to actually learn. And that's what I think martial arts is all about. Uh, but I think they're also, they're also very insecure. True. They don't want to take the chance of being challenged, right? Or being found out. Or as you being said found out. out. Exactly. Like, again, I get back to Benny. Benny, if you're doing something, you say, well, show me that. Teach me that. He's always trying to say, well, now you teach me something. Might be nothing, you know, but the fact that he's open to that. And, again, he's demonstrating in his example of I'm still a student, you know. 
Look at someone like George St. Pierre, who's still, you know, you see him rolling on the mats with the Gordon Ryans and the Danaher Danaher's people and all of that. 100%. Well, he's a, he was a world considered legend in MMA, but he's still willing to get on the mat and maybe get his ass kicked. But, you know? that, but that's what made him a legend. And there's, exactly. there's, there's few that do it. I know, obviously, John Jones outside of that uh, personal stuff that he goes through, but he's another one who likes to, who was open-minded and learned from everyone. St. Pierre, and uh, talking to Wayne Parr, used to travel with uh, St. Pierre on, on one of the camps, and he said he travelled all over the place for a week at a time to train with different coaches. Mm. Now, that, that's a, that in itself tells you that that person is great. Because they're willing to learn. You know, another, uh, which, you know, of course, Chuck being, you know, I've been friends with Chuck since 78. He was best man in my wedding, by the way. That's what still freaks me out. The only only reason I got him is in case anyone started any shit at the reception. (laughs) (laughs) But that's still amazing, the friendship. And you, and you, when you say to me, I just, you know, I text Chuck and like, you're talking about Chuck Norris. Like this this is the, the icon of martial arts. If, if there's a name that's associated with martial arts as, He's just in this generation and of all generations, Chuck Norris is one of the amazing sort of uh, things for you. Again, he opened so many doors for me, of of course, you know, with a film career, Octagon being the first movie I I did in the States in 1979. Because he saw I could handle Okinawan weapons and start asking me if I'd play his nemesis in that movie and that started my whole movie career. But but I was going to say, you know, as an example, like when, uh, when I started getting the Machados around the Chuck's house. And by the way, he, Bob Wall and myself are the ones that started them in their very first school in the Valley in Encino. Right. They then opened a school in Redondo and John Duck stayed in the Valley. Hegan and the rest went out to Redondo. But I still remember that when the school started, who was the first person on the mat with a white belt on was Chuck Norris. I said, what better example than that? He could have been like, well, I'm Chuck Norris. I'm supposed to know it all, and I'm the baddest person on the planet. Put a white belt and said, oh, Rich, we've got to learn this. Look at look at this. How good is that, That's right? That's amazing. It, it, there was no ego with that. And when we used to train, we would actively try and find Tai Chi masters, pressure point, but whoever was like – in the limelight that time and invite him around to the house, you know. Yeah, right. We uh, we had so many different ones come around to his house just to sort of show us what they do and demonstrate what they do. And, again, it wasn't in a challenging sense. It was just, again, maybe they've got something in Chuck's mind that would help us. Be able to, well, that says everything. And people, once again, this is a whole other topic. You know, you get people say, oh, well, Chuck Norris wouldn't beat a Conor McGregor. I said, what a stupid fucking comparison. <laughs> well, that's like Ali and Tyson. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I said, Chuck became a world champion at what was the environment back then. It was point karate. It wasn't full contact. Kickboxing came in later. And I would still argue that Chuck Norris, born 40 years later, be the same world champion today in MMA. You could argue someone like a Bruce Lee as a precursor of MMA. Yeah. Had he he would have been the Conor McGregor, no doubt, because oh, it was yeah. about that the drive they had to be the best versions of themselves. And they, you know, as we know, Chuck's very much like Bruce, and they added boxing and judo That's and right. wrestling and everything else to their initial real. sort of art and. Um, I mean that's a that's a huge example right there, yeah. um, but it's right. You know, it's uh, Tyson. I'm just fascinated with him lately. I saw 
they were talking about Tyson Fury. Is it Tyson Fury Tyson or, or Fury. who's the other one? Uh, De Dante Wilder. Yeah, there's Wilder. One of them was asked, well, would I think, it was, let's say De Dante. I might, I might I think be it wrong. Was, I think it was Wilder. Asked, could you beat Mike Tyson? And he said, yes, you know, and they asked Tyson. And, and it was a wonderful answer because he said, said, well, he has to say that. Of course he has to say. He's world champion. That's huge. Of course he has to have. Yeah. That's a demonstration of his mindset as a champion fighter. Yes, I can beat anyone. He said, I would have said the same thing. And exactly. I thought rather than say, oh, he's talking shit and everything, he, he basically celebrated that's what a champion's mindset is. You know 100%. what I mean? And people got to realize that when Tyson was in his prime, Dante Waller would have been a kid. No, exactly. So, it's a different and, so and the, the evolution of boxing, everything else since then. That's what people forget. You know, I've had people look at what we did in syndicate and say, Oh, a lot of what you guys did was wrong. I said, Oh, go and fuck yourself. You know, <laughs> it's like I look back at some of the forms or kata I did in 70, I'm going, Oh my God, I actually thought that was pretty good. Yeah, right. And I did at the time. But it's true, you're only responsible for what you know at the time. And I believe whether people say, oh, Tino being Japanese style, good, you got it wrong. He he was absolutely what doing with passion and with complete integrity, what he believed was the best expression of martial arts possible at that time. Tino since incredibly evolved with adding his Filipino martial arts yeah. in it. And as I said, I looked at what I did. Well, thank God I am able to go, well, that was shit, but I thought it was amazing. Yeah. How could how could you still compare me today with what That's I did in the 70s when I've never stopped training? I'm the first to admit that what I did back then now, yeah. but I would still say that the way we trained in with Bob and the boys back then, we always said that what we lacked in in sort of technique and all that, we made up for in blood, sweat, and tears. We trained yeah. as hard as anybody. Yeah. And and. You can't take that away from us or no, anybody right. else that trained at that time. And, and Bob Jones back in the day, like he, he was massive and still is a big, still massive Still massive name. and still was the first to really introduce the whole eclectic idea of martial arts in Australia, 100%. which was very much American, you know, yep. where we f took the blinkers off and said, well, no, yes, Goju, we love that as our, our base style, yes. but- Ah, look how effective boxing is in judo and well, grappling and wrestling. Yeah. Let's incorporate that. So we we in the early, so we started that in 1970. We were doing what's now considered MMA back then. Now, of yeah. course, it's far more advanced, sort of advanced, advanced now, but we were still doing that back yeah. then, you know. And uh, as I keep saying, to compare what we were then to now, I just go, well, I'm not even going to have that conversation no, no, with well, you well, really you're a moron. The, the, one, the ones who were, who were saying that to compare are just uneducated people no, exactly. in, in martial arts. They obviously, if they were martial arts, they go, well, you can't compare. At that time, he was the greatest. At this time, he's this age, and obviously his time has done and he's gone, but this time now, this person's the greatest like it's just different just respect different the eras. incredible contribution people like tina and bob made to martial arts yes different directions and everything but the common denominator is still we're all martial artists 100%. yes we're expressing ourselves differently but i always say that art is individual expression if you got five people painting a tree on a canvas that tree would be different on each canvas same tree exactly. That's individual, exactly. that's art. So martial arts the same. Of course, my physicality, my age and everything will have me express my martial arts differently to a 20-year-old. Yep. 
that's great. You know what I mean? And yeah. we've, we've got to be okay with all of that. And again, it's this tribalism that now my tribe says, this is what we do and everything else is I know, shit. You I, know. Know. I know. It's a, it's a really weird thing, but that's why I sort of don't really get into the whole politics. When you get into politics of martial arts, like you lose your head sometimes and you'd really just look at someone and just go, what the fuck are you my, talking about? My wife is... Couldn't be further from being a martial artist. She she's often and a, said and a to perfect me, "Perfect yin yang match." Yeah, and she <laughs> she said to me once. She said, "You are in the most fucked up industry." Excuse my language, Judy. Maybe you didn't say fucked up. Maybe that's my <laughs> interpretation. But and I said, "You're right," especially considering we punch around professing this philosophical yeah. lineage and background and integrity and honor. And yes, on the mat, so many. You know, what did Shakespeare say? The world is a stage, you know? We're just playing roles. Well, people get on that mat for the two hours in role play and then they get off the mat. They're the biggest dicks, you yeah, know, with the way they yeah. interact in society with their family, with yep. their friends. Well, that's not being a martial artist, nah, you know? Nah. That whole Bushido code was far more than that. And I would say that it's not the two hours on the mat that matters most as a martial artist. It's the 22 hours off the mat. Couldn't, I couldn't agree you more. don't couldn't wear your more. gear and your colors and everything. Else, what then? How do you behave that really says you are a martial artist through yeah. and through? And we're all flawed. We're all trying. Yeah. You know, there's no way we're not masters, or at no. least I'm not. No. But we try and do our best. You That's know, right. to, That's to right. be the best examples of of that chivalry code. Not unlike the Knights Templar had or, you know, Knights yeah. of the Round Table. I mean, yeah. I think that's important to encompass the whole spectrum of character and behavior that goes yeah. with being a martial 100%. artist. And yeah. I think a good example of uh, probably you know him and, and a friend of mine, Judd Reed, mm -hmm. perfect example of someone who's a, a karateka, an absolutely legend on the mats when it comes to kyokushin karate and a martial artist in general, and de could destroy pretty much a lot of the people that get on that match with him. But then outside of that, I mean, we'd go and play golf together some, on oh, Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays, and you'd never meet such a respectful, down-to-earth, humble person yeah. that you that you think to yourself, this dude could just put me out within within a, a yeah. second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I haven't, I haven't actually met uh, Judge. Haven't you? But we've... Sort of messages and done, and I obviously yep. know who he is and yep. respect his journey. So it'd be fun to sort of meet up yeah, with him a, someday. I'm lucky I done a podcast with him earlier on, and uh, nice. wow, what a what a massive uh, journey he's had too with the hundred man kumite and yeah. like to just to go. But through see, all that, but. see again, just to finish all that off, you're talking character, and again, get back to someone like Tino. He's got a book launch. He's just launched a oh, biography written by Michael Black, one of his students and a friend, and. You know, I wasn't able to come down to the launch in Melbourne a few weeks ago because I was still in Sydney. Still, yeah, I was worried okay. about flights, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's, there's something like 200 people in martial arts of all different creeds, yeah. you know, the Barry and Ann Pangs and yeah. all different styles. And I heard that the speech Tino got was so amazingly embracing of everybody and basically, again, showing respect and thanks that, Everybody there, different styles, some are Wing Chun, some are Kyokushin, some are Shotokan, whatever. But again, the common denominator, we're all martial arts yep. artists, yeah. sorry, and that's what 
brings us together in this room and we're not on the mat, we're not naggies, we don't need to sort of demonstrate our superiority or inferiority to anybody, just embrace the journey we're on. And it was apparently such a, 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 a what's the word? It was just everybody just felt like a unit and yep. together there was no just conflict or whatever. Spirit, and a lot of that was spirit. due to Tina. Tina's got an incredible charisma and personality. Anyone who's met him, he's, he's got a very deep voice, yeah. you know, and <laughs> always calling him my boy, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it, it, it's a great example. So I'm just thrilled that people ah. I've got to know, like a Chuck Norris, Benny is like Tina Sebrano, whatever out there. And just representing what it is to be a martial artist yep. as much as is impossible in today's world. Yeah, 100%. And getting back to where you've taken the martial arts, the amazing journey that you've had with so many huge names, as you say, even with like um, uh, Benny the Jet, Jackie Chan with the movies. Now, the bodyguarding. Mm. You've done some amazing travels with the entertainment business in bodyguarding, which obviously your martial arts background helped you uh, in regards to bodyguarding. Some of the some of the uh, some of the names you've bodyguard. Obviously, you've got uh, the Rolling Stones, ABBA, David Bowie. I mean, the li- list could go on and on. And on. Stevie Nicks. Oh, yeah. the list could go on and on. The the experience. When you go, this is martial arts, but now you're in a different world with the bodyguarding, so to speak, because you, now you've got entertainment. You've got people who, you know, it's all about the, well, I wouldn't say all about the money, but it's about the art of music. It's about traveling and all that. That experience alone, what's what's that like for, in your when you started that off and then traveling with some of the biggest names on the planet? Well, yeah, we, you know, it's, it's through Bob. Bob was doing security 10 years before I met okay. him because- Bob being 10 years senior to me, but um, Paul Dainty, who Australian entrepreneur who's still in the business, he used to bring a lot of uh, the rock and roll acts and music acts out. He gave a call one day and asked if we would look after the Rolling Stones. It was in 1973. It was a little while after Altamont where a Hell's born. Angel biker, you, you know, knifed a fan, did all this sort of oh, stuff. Yeah, right. So they were already a little nervous about security (laughs) and all that sort of stuff and the look, as it were. But that was my – I used to teach Mick Jagger karate at four in the morning, teaching him like reverse punches and stuff. He was quite intrigued, very fit, very intelligent guy. Which, by the way, what you know, the lessons I've learned even being around – and I call it being around people at the top of their game. Like I – you know, working with a Mick Jagger or – Keith Richards or whatever. I was just to say, you know, I saw a, a, a documentary recently on Netflix on Mick Jagger. Yeah. Uh, sorry, on, on Keith, Keith Richards. Richards. Yeah, yeah, I haven't watched it. And there's I'll, a recent one that's talking about being a Rolling Stone where they, one episode is Mick, one's Keith. Oh, okay. One was on uh, Ronnie Woods and stuff, which is fantastic. And first of all, you get to see the intelligence of someone like a Mick. I said to people, nobody gets to have a career like that without being so fucking smart and on their game. And it's all, he's almost laughing when he talks about that persona of a stone. Yeah. He said, yes, of course, ego's involved and chicks everywhere and all this. But looking at him talk and then seeing the um, Netflix doc on Keith, I often used to say people look at someone like a Keith Richard and all they see is the drug, sex, and rock and roll. Yeah. What they miss is the absolute passion 
that Keith has for being a songwriter, guitar player, musician. And you see that at 81 or two, that's all he's worried about. In fact, there was a funny segment on being a Rolling Stone where Ronnie Woods is talking about him and Mick, you know, they just really gelled and hanging out. And he said they had a couple of nice ladies with them and all this. He's, I don't know whether he's exaggerating. He said basically two days in the room, they never put their guitars down. He said these really cute girls are pretty much looking at their watches and going, <laughs> well, fuck this. This is boring as all shit. But he laughed because, yes, that was part of that whole scene, but still what mattered to them most was their absolute passion for being artists. Well, Look at the parallel with martial arts. That's all we think about. Judy says, God, will you get off your, all you're doing is looking up stuff and what this, <laughs> so that's, that's what we do. So I, I, that was fascinating being, or David Bowie, I worked with David for eight years, you know. Really? Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. What an incredible man, just so intelligent, well-read, educated. And I remember seeing, you know, this was obviously after the Ziggy Stardust days, you know, and all this, the, 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 um, what was it called? The the Great White Duke. You know, it was a whole story did that I started with him. Anyway, yeah. I remember standing with David watching this audience and he said, Rich, look at them. He said, they're all dressed the way I was the last tour I did. He said, they'll never catch me looking the same. Yeah, he was right. like a chameleon. But yeah. but think about that. That's also continually evolving. evolving How can I express myself a little differently? I don't want to be the same person last tour. Stevie Nicks, amazing Fleetwood Mac was with them. You know, ABBA, yeah. I mean, what a tough kick oh, that was, Richard. Oh, my God. Training them on the beach. Those ladies, they wouldn't get out of those bikinis, which I found quite disturbing. 100%. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on that. No, like, and I'll tell you what, the women back you, in the day. Could you go and put something a little more respectable <laughs> on? He's a gee. Yeah, he's a gee. <laughs> but I train them nearly every day. They train like maniacs, incredible people, so down to earth and, and lovely to be around. Of course, the, you know, the longest period I had working was with Linda and James Taylor. Yep. And we just, I used to go to uh, Martha's Vineyard, you know, which is over the east coast of, um, of New, you know, out from New York, over yeah, the east okay. coast of America. And when he was uh, still married to Carly Simon and train him in martial arts and the bow and get him fit and, you know, and still he was out, I forget how many years ago with Carol King and he got the tour manager to find me, you know, and flew us up to Sydney. We got to hang with him and his family. And it was like just, like just yesterday. So to to know that we formed that friendship. And you know the really nice thing, and I'm bragging now. No, no, no. He introduced me to Carol King because James was actually a heroin addict when I started with him. And he makes no secret. I wouldn't give away secrets. That was, you know, and, and, you know, of course, every, not everybody, but a lot of people did cocaine and shit like that. But it got to where, like I'd set up a punching bag for James before the shows, just a bit of a adrenaline warm drain, up. warm up yeah, and everything yeah. and train him. He, I trained him as hard as just about everybody. Same with Linda Ronstadt. But when James introduced me to Carol King, he, which was, was just a phenomenal thing, he said, oh, Richard changed my life, you know. It wasn't me. It was really, I think, the fact that I introduced him to exercise and martial arts to the stage that he eventually said exercise became his addiction. He'd never smoked, didn't drink, and that's been the last 15, 20 years. Wow. Which is what a phenomenal sort of uh, thing that is. And to have that sort of relationship with artists of that caliber and the, and the mutual respect they had for what I did, 
that was just that was heartwarming. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. David, you know, used to train David, That's and he it. challenged me to a one-arm push-up contest when I first met him. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all pretty fit. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of them, not all of them. Nah, like nah. you would never get Keith Richards doing oh, a workout to save his life. <laughs> that was one question I had when you said you trained in the Rolling Stones. I was yeah, like, no, I bet you hundred percent Keith Richards wasn't he, on any mats or any any gym. He actually <laughs> said to me on the tour, and I think I forget how old he might have been forty or something. Then he said, "Oh, I know, I'm probably." Not not going to live to be 50. I mean, he's quite resolved. <laughs> but here he goes and he's doing amazing right. work and just hanging there and me, uh, Keith looks incredible. Um, Linda's still there. I still talk to Linda Rundstedt every couple of weeks. I give him a call. You know, wow. she's unfortunately got, I forget the name of the uh, ailment. It's, it's a bit like Parkinson's where she's lost control of the muscles and stuff. So she can't sing a note anymore, which is just tragic. That'd be like us losing our arms and going, what do we do? But boy, what a great mindset she's got. She says, no, I've had an amazing journey and amazing life. She's very accepting. Of course, she says, well, there's also nothing I can do about it. And that's, that's pretty interesting when you go, well, nothing I can do about it. So let me make the most of what I have and in, in, enjoy. enjoy the the memories of the journey I've had, you know, and that's that's also a, there's a lot to learn from that, you yeah. know. Yeah. So yeah, I well, just and Jackie Chan, of course, you know, I was say Jackie Chan, yeah, maestro of martial arts. I started with him in I think 1984 or whatever. I did a film really, called yeah. Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, and um, that was amazing. You know, I ended up doing four movies with Jackie as the main bad guy. One stage, I was the only Westerner ever to, to ask to work more than once in one of his movies. Wow. That's, that's uh, I think Benny ended up doing it later on. But yeah. So that was an experience. And again, it's just the passion. And, and Jack is the sort of guy on a movie set that if you've got stands to move or chairs to move, or foot, he's out there with a broom, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Again, an incredible example to the rest of his stunties of, any, of a work ethic second to none. Because I did that first movie and I thought, oh, this would be good, 12-hour days like I do in America. Went over there and it was, you know, I, I've said a lot of times, but it's the truth. When we started doing, I did the main fight first with Sammer Hong, who's the director, who's like the Steven Spielberg of martial art movies there. We were on the set 18 hours a day, seven days a week for wow. three and a half weeks doing this one fight. I thought I was going to die. Oh, I, I was a wow. lot smaller then than I am now. I lost something like eight, nine kilo in weight because really? the studio was 110, 115, no air conditioning. But then I realized, I said, geez, I'm complaining. They do this year round. You know, they're never not doing it. Him and his stunties. And that was also a big lesson about work ethic because I thought if, and I literally got to my hotel room once and said, after starting the fight with Sam and before doing this fight with Jackie, I said out aloud, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. And I really meant it. To yeah. go back to the States and do movies were like a cakewalk in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say 12 hours. Yeah, yeah because you've got union rules and everything and meals. Yeah, and, really? you know, yeah, so it was quite an experience. Wow. But again, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch Sammer, who's still the most amazing action direct actor I've ever worked with yeah. as far as action and fights, you know, and of course Jackie Chan and to be able to 
be on set with with those legends and watch the way they worked and everything. So not many people get to do that. No way. Wow. Somebody said recently, oh, what did you think? Somebody interviewed and said, what do you think when you're on the way over to Hong Kong to work with Jackie Chan? Were you scared or whatever? I said, no, because I didn't really know who Jackie was. I didn't follow the Chinese Kung Fu movies like a lot of other martial arts did. So I said, it was just another gig. I said, interestingly enough, it's only 20 or 30 years later that when you see younger people who know of them, their eyes light up, that you realize how much a part of history you were at that that 100%. level of filmmaking, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's an amazing, it goes back to like the Bruce Lee, like Bruce Lee, the movies, that's how a lot of people when they say, oh, what got you into martial arts, oh, Bruce Lee movies back, you know, my generation, I, I could say. But yeah, it's amazing when you look back at that and you take a moment to go, wow, that's a part of history that way. Yeah, because Bob and I used to do demos at movie theatres when they played oh, Bruce Lee they? movies. You know, we'd do a demo out hey, front right. for a live audience. Yeah, I mean. right. Wow. But 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 there's another one. You know, I uh, Danny Inosanto, who you probably know, he's an absolute legend, and he's late in his 80s. He still does more seminars than anyone in the world, Filipino. He, I had a uh, three-hour lunch with Danny when I was last in L.A. in March this year. Yes. And just what a lovely man. Oh, my God. He's another one, by the way, who started training with Egan Machado. Okay. Egan said he has never had a student put so much time in heaven. Danny's got a lot of injuries. He'd be like on his back shrimping up and down the dojo floor for hours. Really? And again, just a total student. I, when I met with Danny this uh, in March, he's he's got three different instructors, one's teaching Wing Chun, one's doing, coming and teaching him privately. Yeah, really. And yet many in the world would see him as the, the, the icon, ultimate the, icon and master of martial wow. arts. And, you know, and just to sit down and, and listen to him and talk, you know, I asked about Bruce because, you know, I said, come on, Danny. I said, you taught Bruce a lot of stuff too, like Nunchaka. And yeah. he, he puts his little smile on, he says, Shit, Richard <laughs> said you get in a lot of trouble if you say you taught Bruce anything <laughs> because the ones that are diehards oh, yeah. to them Bruce knew Bruce. every martial art that ever existed. They didn't. Bruce they they forget he was else. still a student himself and on a journey in learning, which made him the greatest. Yeah. So well. Danny did that. He, he it was just just sitting there and hearing stories of one on one. And he, for example, he said Bruce was actually working on uh, double and single leg takedowns. In the late 60s. Now, no martial arts would ever think of adding a wrestling move because you didn't consider wrestling as a martial art. Of course, that's all changed now as per UFC, but but back then, and he said, yeah, it wasn't incredibly, like, advanced and stuff, but the fact that he was working, and you remember when he fought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was demonstrating an armbar. Well, no striker did that in movies back then, so you got to take your hat yeah, off and go. Yeah. How how forward thinking he yes, was! What a trailblazer! Wow, and, and uh, yes, yeah, trailblazer yeah. is the word. That's yeah, hundred percent. And I was asking, I said, "Did you, you come on? Have, what, what happened to you when you sparred with Bruce?" You know, I probably shouldn't <laughs> tell you. He probably doesn't want me to spread nah, these well. stories, but but you know, he, it's just he said Bruce's hands were as good as anybody still to this day. He said, so when he's, see, uh, Danny used to be, he could have been an Olympic sprinter. 
Yeah, right. So you see, Danny said, I just moved a lot to the point that I would just keep the distance because I knew Bruce's hands were so good and I wouldn't even get him that close. <laughs> yeah, to the point he said, once Bruce stopped and said, are we going to fight or just run all day? That <laughs> 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 was very funny. Oh, that, yeah, if yeah. Bruce saying that to you, you think, oh, yeah. better not, I'll, yeah. I'll keep running. No, I'm going to run all day. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Man, that would have been, oh, what an experience. Yeah. What, a, what a part of life that would have been. Yeah. So as many as many movies you've got into the acting and as many movies as you've done, mm-hmm. and I, I won't name more because there's thousands of them, literally thousands of them. <laughs> but it's just, it's just it's real honour just going through all these movies that I've I've gone through and just you know some of the names that you've done them with. Has there been a movie that you've really thought, wow, this is this is one of the the best that for you personally? Like feeling wise, just learning wise, but just yeah, wow. they've all been different, Richard, in in and and rewarding in different ways. For instance, the Hong Kong movies I did with Jackie, you do stuff that you would never normally do because, and it's all choreographed by the Chinese coordinators and everything. So their timing's different, spacing's different, everything's a little different. So the rewarding thing with that, like a film like City Hunter, that was quite comedic, is to go and see the end result and go, oh, my God, you know, that yeah. is hilarious because <laughs> I'm playing a character I'd never normally play, you know. It's a it's a very different kind of, uh, what's the uh, style of filmmaking that I used to have then in Hong Kong. It's changed now. Yeah. So that's one thing. But then I look back at Octagon being the first one. Now, I, four of us got to play the main ninja bad guys through the whole of Octagon. I, in fact, I even said to my mum once at a screening of it, I said, if you see anyone go splat, it's probably me. <laughs> so we did all of that and I helped choreograph all the fights with Chuck. You know, at, you know, I've got old black and white footage of us rehearsing wow. that Keo fight with Chuck in, in his backyard, you know. So that was rewarding because, first of all, it was my first first entree I got to play a character that back then became quite iconic in fact it created this unbelievable um buying surge of Psy in the US because people never see you know Psy that Okanoan looks like a pitchfork sort of weapon just because of the fight with Chuck and you know, just to be a part of that, and that's still classed. I mean, I think, you can agree, Adishka is one of the ten best fight scenes. Yeah, I think it was the top. I think it had somewhere in the documentation where it was like the top thirteen best fight scenes right. ever. Right, which is amazing. That is, and it was shot pretty wide, which was different to the way they shoot today. So you could actually see everything that's going on. Yeah. Um. So so that that's that's an amazing to look back at that, and also it was the start of my movie career, it was when I got to meet people like Tadashi Yamashita who played my boss in that movie and incredible that I ended up training for a few years with after that because I saw how good he was. Uh, Simon and Philip Ree who were icons in the uh, fight coordinating, stunt coordinating industry in America, that was one of their first movies. On and on it goes. There were some incredible martial artists that I got to – meet and play around with on that set. And then you go to things like Force 5 was my first lead. Yeah. Benny Okides, Bong Suhan, Joe Lewis, legendary wow. Joe Lewis, who now has passed away. But I'm being on the set with these people and you got to pinch yourself. Oh, I was going to say, you'd have to pinch yourself. Even if you're Richard Norton, you still got to pinch you yourself. You do. And uh, so I look at that and then there was another film called Under the Gun or Iron Fist that a friend Paul Curry and I put together here in Melbourne 
you know, they did the lead in and we got to use a whole lot of local martial artists, including Tino yeah. in a fight scene. It's tiny budget, you know, shit budget and everything. Yeah. But but again, just to actually be one of the producers on it, mainly Paul, you know, and, and be the lead and shoot it here in Melbourne, I thought. And, and out of that has often come another mantra I give to people, young martial artists, I say if a skinny little asthmatic kid, because I used to get asthma when I was a kid, from Croydon, and end up working with Jackie Chan, Chuck Norris, work with bloody David Bowie, Abba and all this. If I can do it, anybody. It's possible it for anybody. Possible. It just gets down to how badly do you want it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, as definitely. we talked about earlier, the great realisation for me with all of that work, the bodyguarding, travelling the world for 25 years as a bodyguard. Incredible. Okay. Whatever, not thousands of movies, but a lot. Oh man, it, it feels <laughs> like a thousand when you go looking through them all, and you're like, "Wow!" Yeah. That's but if a skinny little yeah. kid like that can achieve it, then then it's possible. It just gets again, how badly do you want it? You know. Yeah. And uh, so I feel very, very fortunate. Yeah. And the good part is the journey continues. We're still say, going. I was going to say, isn't it isn't yeah. amazing when you say if you're passionate about it? And that's probably one of my questions. You know, the advice for young young people uh, today when they're in martial arts or they want to get into acting or anything like that. Um, you know, your advice to someone would be similar to that. Is you know, find that passion and and yeah, find that passion. It's got to be the right passion for you. You know, we had a, we we often said that back then, including Chuck, we did martial arts just because we wanted to be the best martial arts, not because we wanted to become actors. Nowadays, a lot of kids are doing it because they want to be actors. So, the martial arts is almost a tool to get them to that desire. The difference was we just wanted to do martial arts, and as per what I was talking about with Buckminster Fuller, everything came as a result of that honest passion. The bodyguarding and filmwork came as a result of that. Um, so that's very different, but it's an incredible opportunity. But but I guess the hard thing is now you've got to be much better than I was back then because there's only a handful of us doing it in the late 70s. Chuck started it a lot in America. So, you know, the, the level of expertise as per uh, Scott Atkins or Michael J. White or people like this, you look at what they do now on screen. Oh. I feel like a novice, you know, 100%. and I did a great podcast with Scott and he's, he, he's a lovely, lovely man. And he said, look, Rich, I watched all your movie, you with a springboard. And I said, thank you for that. But also it's, it's very heartening to me to see they use that as springboard to take the level to a whole different level of excellence, 100%. which they've done. Yeah. Amazing. Same amazing. as Chuck. You look at what Chuck did, oh. crescent kicks and everything. You wouldn't do that now, but it was still what we did back That's then, right. you know? And uh, now, now of course, the level of expertise is through the roof. Um, it's all good, you know. It just evolves. The martial arts and life just keeps evolving. And as you say, if you stay still, you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> you're dead. You know, yeah. Well, the last bit for uh, for me for to ask you is what what is Richard Norton's rich life these days? What's it look like? This. This. Talking to me. Hey. Talking to Richard. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> take, that, take that answer back. Yeah, take that out. <laughs> Edit that out, will you? That wasn't what I meant. Um, no, you know what it is? And it, it, it does sound like that, but it kind of is. I, I'm pretty much living the rich life. I think 
You know, it's like um, looking back at the film career. I mean, I did a lot of crappy, crappy movies. But I also realized that, you know, I could have held out. My acting teacher used to say, oh, you should say no to some of these movies in the Philippines or whatever with Roger Corman and people like that and hold out. First of all, you always thought at that stage that maybe that's the only gig you're ever going to get. True. And I realized it was also just a way for me economically to have a means to which I could spend more time training in martial arts. I was a means to an end. If I was that passionate about being an Academy Award winning actor, then I would have spent as much time in an acting school as I did in the dojo, which I didn't. And I'm okay with that because I accept that as being part of my journey. So cut to now, a lot of, you know, I mentioned Eckhart Tolle. I love Eckhart Tolle who wrote a book called The Power of Now and multiple, multiple seminars all over the world about being in the moment that every, so many people have a future story and it's always about what I need to be complete. I need this, I need that much money, I need that car or I need that expertise or whatever. And none of that's real. You might get hit by a truck tomorrow. You might have, might not. So embrace today and also trying to, to be okay and, and realize like Judy and I, we've got the stage of ruling when enough is enough. We don't have millions of dollars. Everything got a beautiful house here, place over in LA, nice car. But it's the relationship we have. It's our fact that I can still go and train every day. I'm still healthy enough to do it, and that I don't want to be all. I don't want to be today just wondering, oh God, am I going to work again? I'm 73 soon. Blah blah blah. No, if it's right, it'll come. It'll happen. But I'm also happy with that balance of downtime. I've just having nothing on my slate to do tomorrow and enjoying that and just seeing what spontaneously comes up. Of course, you've got to still have goals. I still have things I want to aspire to and everything, but we're just learning to be, no, we're okay. You know, even if I'm living off my US pension and SAG pension, everything, we're okay. House is paid off. How good is that? Go for a walk down the beach, you know? And I know, again, that sounds very simplistic, but have a little sand scrub, get in the water. You know, I'm doing Wim Hof breathing every day, cold showers every day. We, we got a little meditative thing we watch and do on YouTube together. So I'm living it, mate. Yeah, man, you know, I'm living yeah. it. It's And there's still more to come. 100%. But I'm trusting that it will. And yeah. even if it doesn't, we're okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. but that that's what – just be okay sometimes. And, and of course, you know, we're going to get all stupid now, but just really nurture the relationship. They're important. You know, so many people, when they work their asses off and all they do at work – if, if the people are most important to your life are up here, you're probably spending most of your time with people two-thirds of the way down that list Guaranteed. and neglecting the value and the warmth and, the, and what those few people up top can give you in your life. And a lot of people regretfully either get so sick or get to a stage where they're no longer too able, able to enjoy those moments. And I, I we're just also trying to be very aware of that, you know, and it doesn't mean, you know, we just got a bunch of friends. Judy's not that social, but she's great when we're in her social. She's yeah. interested in people and ask them, but yeah. she's out in the garden every day. We've done every frigging garden five blocks from here. <laughs> this is why I got to keep working to pay for the fucking plants. <laughs> 
But it's a bit like martial arts. She's doing, she's in the moment. She loves awesome. it and that's her passion. 100%. And some days it'll be, oh, the neighbors won't even border the plants. And I got, I said, yes, but that's a given um, if yeah. that's not the reason you're doing it, you know? So it's just the balance, Richard, I yeah. think, you know, and it's, and again, it sounds like just trying to be all stupid and philosophical, but it's the no. absolute truth, you know? I agree, 100%. Happy in our, in our spot, love each other, care for each other, got a few friends. Even like when you lose friends, you know, I've often said some friendships are only meant to last a week, some a year, some five years, and some a lifetime. And each one, same as relationships, which leads you to your everlasting love in life. Some, most of them are just there to teach you what you think you actually need from that relationship and that's okay too and you know i had an issue with some friend of ages and we've now parted and there's judy who's very wise with stuff you know i won't tell her that i didn't mean that (laughs) i'm the alpha um you know she said how freeing is it now that you no longer have to spend any more time or energy on that person They're just over there now. And our favorite saying right now in our lives is, if someone or something doesn't add value to our lives, fuck off. I wish you all the best, but don't add grief and stress and everything in my life. You know, that's a pretty good spot to be. Mate, it's unbelievable. And yeah, it's so deep. It's so, I love it. I love it. And I just, uh, mate, it's absolutely been a a pleasure and an honor to, uh, you know, following your sort of life throughout the martial arts and always hearing your name when I was growing up as a, as a kid as well. And, uh, mate, it's just been a real honor to have you on the Rich Life Projects. And, uh, no, I just wish you the, another 73 years of, uh, <laughs> movies of martial arts, my friend. Yeah, but, uh, thank I really you, thank Rich. you. It's been, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it too, mate. It's been a good chat. And again, that message to you kids, find, just try and find what you're passionate about. It might be music. It might be martial arts. Who knows what it is, but just, Try and find something that actually makes you want to get up every morning. I think that's what's life about. Don't wait till you're 60, 65 and retired and now got my super and now I start to live. As I say, well, good luck, you know. I mean, there's another thing too about health, you know. Find something that adds health and well-being to your life because that's the other thing. If you're 65 and your back's gone, your neck's out and you can hardly walk, well, you can't enjoy walking to the beach or going down to the bush or anything anymore. So that's something also to, like being being smart with how you look after yourself. You know, I, you would have been the same as me in your 20s. You feel like you're indestructible, yeah, you know. It's only now you realize how much smarter you got to be with what, how you impact your body and everything else and because this is just the vehicle. That's right, you know? that's right. But so, it's, it's just, yeah, as I say, it's, um, it's about what you said earlier, just keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving because once and you do might stop. might be ever near that much. Yeah. Might be the tiniest bit. That's okay. Just keep moving. Just keep moving forward, just mm-hmm. trying to, you know, do the walks, do the runs, do the push-ups, do the sit-ups. Just simple little things to keep you moving keeps your brain moving. Yeah, well, man. yeah, I'm mean, here. Here we go again. See, we're supposed to be wrapping up. But we know about the second episode, plasticity of the brain. You know, that's why they say older people with dementia, learn a new instrument, learn a new dance. There's something that gets those neurons firing, you know, that, that, that will create brain patterns and everything else yep. that, that are added to what you already have. And yep. I think that's, that's what we are lucky enough to do as a martial artist, you know. 100%. Mm. Thank you again, my friend. You're welcome. Absolute pleasure.